Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm just getting this ready. Okay. Just don't touch anything because I can hear every... I can hear that. I can hear all of it. How many times does she have to be told? About six, maybe. <laughs> Probably about five or six. We're up to three. <laughs> Hello, welcome to Chick Street. Please press one to listen to Annie Potatoes and press two to hear Evie Jones. Oh, they chose me. Hello, everyone. How are you today? How are you? I'm good. How are you? Oh, God. Oh, God. I just wanted to mention before we get stuck into it, something very important. Go. Oh, yeah. Our listeners may have heard a little message at the start of our podcast, which they wouldn't have heard before. It's new. It's a new message. Yeah. <laughs> what did it say? Well, it's asking people if they would like to. They can yeah, no... donate. But look, the thing is, we really want to try and keep ads out of the podcast, don't we? Because we had a chat about maybe going onto the marketplace and then I listened to a podcast and there was all bloody... Oh, Maddie Johns. Maddie Johns. Rapist. Gambling and, and... We don't need rapists We on don't want that. We don't want that. So... Um, we want to try and keep it ad-free, so... So what have we done? We've asked people if they wanted to give us anything at all, anything greatly in, in, appreciated. In money, not, not just anything at all. Oh, okay. I mean, we'll take anything at all, but yeah. we're looking at monetary donations because um, this does cost us money. And we don't... We, we pay for that ourselves, which we're happy to do. But we're in season three now and we thought... You know what, if if you enjoy listening to us and you don't mind, you've got a few dollars, mm. th- sling them our way. Just sling them our way. It'll And we promise all of the, the bucks would go, will go towards equipment yeah. um, basically so we can stop stealing Sammy's yeah, stuff. Yeah, it goes towards editing, it goes towards studio, studio hire, hire, all of that um, It of goes thing. towards wine. Oh, no, actually, vodka for vodka Evie. Vodka for me. Um, so, look, but but it'll still be 100% free. There is yeah. no obligation no. to donate. But if you feel called to, we would very much appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. and thank you for that. How are you today? I'm really good. Um, I <gasps> Oh, I'm sorry about that. I'm not even sure what end that came out of. <laughs> Good. I watched last night. Um, just wanted to give you a quick little reco. Yeah. Mendotion. Yeah. Uh, well, you, you know I love a true crime, and I found a new true crime that I love, and it's only two episodes. So I thought, is it called What Happened to Carly? No. Okay. I've never heard that? of it. Nope. Made that up completely. Oh, okay. It's called The Disappearance of Susan Cox Powell. Jeez. And double um, bunger name. Double bunger name, and it's a very interesting story. It's only two episodes. It's on Channel Nine, um, and the reason I I'm watching Channel Nine catch up is because I'm also obsessed with Love After Lockup, which. Oh, you do love that show, don't you? Which 
if you are looking for something where you just want a little bit of ent- light entertainment, then you need to watch this show because I've been talking recently that my next step into dating is probably going to be prison sites because I'm having no luck on any of the other dating apps. So a friend of mine was That's like, a big job. Why don't we just start getting a, pen pals yeah, who are in prison? Absolutely like, I'm not. not. Talking, look, I'm not talking bad not. crimes. I'm talking maybe a white collar crime. Oh, yeah. Someone who yeah, is get, get yourself a nice banker. Yeah, a, fro- a that's nice what tax I'm... evader. That, <laughs> yeah, because fuck the little people. Get him. <laughs> Collar crime. Just I tell you, it's collar. really not crime, it's is it? Because not. it's white men doing it. Exactly. So, I mean, really. And you know where they go when they get locked up? It's quite lovely. It's, so, yeah. at the end of the day, they're not going to come out traumatised. Well, so. that's what I'm thinking. And, yeah. and um, so, but anyway, anyway, that's I digress. What was the um, documentary you just mentioned? The Disappearance of Susan Cox Powell. Um, so, it's only two episodes, but it's very similar to... Um, the American murder, you know, the family next door. Oh, I did one. lie that one. We did lie that one. I did see this one come up as a um, preview. So it does mm. look good actually. Yeah, it's very Is good. Is this the and one that you fell asleep through last night? Correct. Okay, I'm so going to say got... no then. That's a no from me because if you can't even sit through it, then neither can I. No, well, it got past, it got past my cutoff, which is 9 o'clock. And normally when I watch anything after 9 o'clock, Oh, it's going to be one of those days. Oh, that one's going to outlast religion, that one. That smell. Jesus. that out, Sammy. Anyway, um, so, yeah, she so she disappears. She's the wife. She's got two kids. The husband decides in the middle of the night at about 2 a.m. he's going to take his two young children, I think who are like under three, he takes them to ca- go camping in the middle of the night in zero, minus zero temperatures. It does sound like that other one. And and um, and there's this really bad storm coming and then he gets home and, oh, where's his wife? Oh, she's, she's gone missing. What a coincidence. Uh, and they are also, um, they're in Utah. They're a member of, they're Mormons, member oh. of the... LDS Church, which they do say some facts, which I, I don't remember, so I'm not going to quote, but that area is is like way up in the percentages of women who Die. fall at the, you know, yeah, are, are murdered at the hands yeah, of their partners. There would be so um, many partners. Yeah. And Control then I, and power. Yeah. and they, oh, oh, I just knocked Pete in the head. I'm sorry. Oh, it's sorry, not the first baby. time, is it? It's not the first time, is it? True. Um, <laughs> and then I started. You know reading what? There's a high percentage of what? you hitting your own dog <laughs> in the head constantly. <laughs> Have you? Are you from Utah? I know. I know. <laughs> then I did a little bit of research. This is serious. I did a bit of research, and do you know? Because you know, you hear stats thrown out every now and then about you know percentage of women who are harmed by men or by people they know. Do you know how many women? are killed every day by their partner or a member of their own family. We're in Utah? In the world. Oh, How many women a day? A day? Mm. I'd say a thousand. Oh, not that many. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> in the world? 
Yeah. I'd say a thousand. No, well, it's only 137. That is a lot of women. I'd say it's a lot more than that. No, but that's by a partner that, or someone they did. Yeah, yeah. No. I'd say that has not been reported. Right. There'd be a lot more. Yeah, you think? Absolutely. That's all I wanted to talk about today. Very, I mean, it was, you know, heavy, went right there. But what about you? Yeah, look, I haven't killed anyone lately. <laughs> okay, or good. anyone good. in the eye. Um, yeah, I watched this week a new show on Prime Amazon called Cruel Summer. Mm-hmm. I watched it all in like pretty much two goes. I watched six episodes in wow. a night. Is it a woke up the next day and finished it off? Doco or a... no? It's a series set in the nineties. Oh, about oh, yeah. a crime. Like te- it's teenage kids. Okay, which I didn't think I'd get into, but it was immediately. Oh, where's this going? Oh. So I did it, and then it was at the end. I kind of went Ugh, like that because it was bad, uh, and then. Oh. Right at the end, I was just about to turn it off. Yeah. And it had a little scene. And I went, oh, oh my God. So you have to go through all the shit. What is it? Eight episodes for Ten. one set? No, it's not a bad show. Oh. Like the end pissed me off, except for the very end. Okay. Well, you're so, lucky. That show's lucky you hung around to the very, very end. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, you just think the credits are about to come up and there's just oh. one more little scene oh. that gets played. So oh. make sure you see that little scene because it's pretty yeah. shocking. And But the, the series is good. Okay. It's really well done. It's done over three years and they've completely used cinematography to let you know what year they're in. Right. So the lighting and colour. Of, nice. the, of the scene. Okay. Yeah, it's really, really cool. And the hairstyles. Oh, and the, fas- and the fact that, you know, on. they've got braces and then they're off, you know, you know, yeah. that's yeah, easy. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. the colouring. Oh, interesting. I like Anywho. it. Anywho, have you got a chick in the now this week? I do. Oh, tell us all about her. I do have a chick in the now. Um, this amazing woman just crossed my path, I think, came, came up on my. Like they always do up on the Instagrams, I think. Mm. Um, and I've got a little bit of a story, and it doesn't go for very long because I know you've got a long one today. So I'll oh, just not that long. Come on, tell us your story. Um, and I'm going to totally balls up her name. I'll try it. Is it Grace Kelly? <laughs> it's Evie Jones. <laughs> Can't balls that up. Um, no, it's Aor E Aor Mc. Kerr Schwart. How do you spell it? Okay. A-Y-O-R. A-O-R. 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 McCurr. M-A-K-U-R. Oh, yeah. Schwart. C-H-U-O-T. Yep. Now, she arrived in Australia when she was 16 years old. Mm Mm-hmm. And before she arrived, even at such a young age, she had already been exposed to a tremendous amount of suffering. Her father was killed by rebels in 1992 during South Sudan's Second Civil War. Mm. Um, This led her and her family, um, her mum and five siblings, to search for um, somewhere a little bit safer. Mm. They fled to Kenya's um, Kakuma refugee camp. They spent 10 years there. And eventually, they were sponsored. They were sponsored by by an uncle in Australia, and oh, cool. um, they moved to Perth. 
So when she arrived, um, I think it was in 2006, she um, thought she was on another planet. She was like, what the what the what where yeah. have i where have i, where landed? Have I landed and she was really shocked that when she she says this is an in, in an interview she said when she arrived and she arrived at her uncle's house none of the neighbors came out to say hello and she thought that was really weird because everywhere her, her culture everyone knows your neighbors and she's like why where are all, where's all the people coming yeah, to say hi. say hi so it was a very massive culture shock for her so um she didn't speak any english at all really um but she went to school completed her um high school certificate graduated um, and then she started modeling she was a really successful oh. model went all around the world um, she retired from modeling in 2013 and she had her first child when she was 17 she set up her own modeling agency oh. And she hoped to mentor young models and create greater diversity in the fashion industry. Um, As a young mum, she went back to school and she got her accounting degree at Edith Cowan University. Oh, we know that one. Yeah. Um, And it was during that time she met Labor MP Janine Freeman. May of this year, she became Western Australia's first MP of African heritage and the first Australian politician elected from the South Sudanese community. Wow. She hopes her election to parliament will inspire other migrant women to consider a career in politics. That would be so good. fucking amazing is that? That would be really good if we had a lot more women and a lot more women of colour. A lot more diversity. She's like, I'm... She can't believe she gets to be involved in decision making, yes. you know, that the privilege she feels. Yeah, it is a privilege. To be able to a be involved. A lot more politicians need to take that mm. on. It is a privilege mm. to serve us and make and help make those decisions, the decisions that we elect them to do yeah. and make. Ayor McCurr Chouot, Chouot, I. Mm. I'm totally stuffing that up and I'm yeah. so sorry. Anyway, we salute you. Yay, Yay. Ayo. Good on you. All right, today I'm going to tell you a story. It's just a bit, this is a very salacious kind of, um, this is a very days of our lives kind of stuff, okay? okay. So I'm just going to take you on a ride with this woman. Strap Her in. Her name is Princess Louise of Belgium. Anyway. You love these ones from bloody yeah. Belgium and like yeah, yeah, the Where? European ones. Yeah, you love those. I love I it. I do. Yeah. I do. I think yeah. that because there's so many of them. Like today, yeah. they still have royalty. Yes. Isn't that weird? So yeah. there's so many women mm-hmm. that we don't know about mm. that have you know been written about or written wrongly about mm-hmm. or you know done that. amazing things to get there. Well, yeah. I mean, this one hasn't done anything much amazing. This is more of a tale. Of a woman who was treated how you are as a woman. Yeah. Treated, you know, anyway. Classic it's, but it, tale. It is, it, I mean, it's a bit sad, but it's mostly, it's mostly dramatic. Yeah. Okay. Princess Louise of Belgium, born in 1858. Mm-hmm. She was the eldest daughter of King Leopold. Yeah, we've the heard second. of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, King Leopold II is not King Leopold. Right. And Close Queen enough. Mary Henriette. Mm-hmm. Okay, now they have their own whole heap of backstories, like whatever, okay. whatever. Marie, Queen Marie Henriette, she, she's got a lot, but okay. we're not doing her. Okay. When she was born, her father said he hoped her to be pretty one day, but that she had a huge nose worthy of mine in every way. 
That's what he said about her. Oh, that's, that's nice. nice yeah. Okay, so that's possibly the At least he didn't say, God, I wish I had a son well, like he, most of them do. Yeah, he did. Oh, he did. I mean, okay. but she was, she, was, she was one of many kids, so all oh, good. So he got, yeah. Um, it's possibly the high point of their father-daughter relationship, <laughs> as we'll see. Mm-hmm. Louise had one younger sister, Stephanie, and one younger brother, Leopold. Mm. Mm, mm. They really stepped out of the box with that one. Mm. Leopold died. When he was 10. Oh. Leaving the family devastated and the king without an heir. Mm. Mm. For the sake of the dynasty, Louise's parents had another baby. But when Marie Henriette gave birth to another daughter, oh. Clementine, oh. neither of them wanted to try again. Mm, For a it. couple whose marriage was civil at best, that was just too much to ask. Louise grew up in the shadow of her parents' tense, loveless Marriage, As she later wrote, I cannot recall a single act of kindness or tenderness on my father's part towards my mother. Oh, well, that's sad. Yeah. To little Louise, King Leopold was a distant, gruff figure. He was a little scary. Her mum was approachable but still emotionally distant. Mm. She raised her kids to be very aware of their royal dignity and wanted them to follow the rules of of propriety all times. This meant that she wasn't the kind of mum who told you about the birds and the bees. Oh, God, no. In 1873, two weeks shy of her 17th birthday, Louise was married to her 31-year-old second cousin, Prince Philip of Saxe-Coburg and Gotha. The wedding night did not go well. In the morning, a traumatised Louise slipped away to cry in one of her father's greenhouses. A centenary found her sobbing in her nightgown and slippers. Her mum came to comfort her, but also reminded her that it was her marital duty to submit to her husband. She was 17 Mm -hmm. and he was 31. Yeah. As As Louise later wrote, her wedding night had left her bruised and mangled in her soul. I was more dead than alive. That night shattered her compelling her um, marriage or thoughts that it would be any different to her parents. Mm. Remember this because it will make much sense what happens next. okay? Okay. Okay. According to Louise, her new husband, Philip, tried to change her from a scared teenager into a real housewife of Imperial Vienna. Mm. He plied her with alcohol and gave her a belated sex education through erotic art and books. He also controlled nearly every aspect of her daily life. Coffee, for example. According to Philip, well-bred people never drink black coffee. So he refused to let Louise drink hers that way. But Louise probably had a little bit of lactose intolerance. She couldn't drink milk without getting an upset tummy. And, but that didn't matter to him. Appearances and behaviour mattered. Shitting your pants apparently doesn't. Besides, he said, his mum always drank it that way. Ugh. So that's obviously what every well-bred woman should do. Of course, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There were other control issues too. The, the big Viennese palace only had two bathrooms. Oh, oh please. When Louise asked to have another one installed closer to her room, clearly because she's shitting her pants constantly, clearly. Philip refused. If the palace had been good enough for his parents and grandparents, it should be good enough for her. <laughs> this type of tight-fisted control only made her more determined to rebel. Yeah, you go, girl. She took what Philip taught her and used it to flip him the metaphorical bird. 
Yes. You want me to drink? Yeah. Fine. I'll drink. I'll drink with the heir to the throne of every handsome Archduke in Budapest. Yeah, you will. You want me to have sparkling conversation? Fine. Fine. I'll do it after dancing every waltz and with the most eligible army officers in Vienna. Yeah, you will. Didn't take long for Louise to become a self-absorbed party gal. Woo! She was the one who flirted too much, drank too much, spent too much and wore necklines a little, cut a little bit too low. Oh, I want to be her friend. Yeah, she was living let's YOLO. Yeah, let's go out. <laughs> and while that lifestyle was fun, it was also her form of protest against her husband. Louise later wrote, she has a memoir out by the way. Oh, fabulous. So you can read all of this. Mm-hmm. A palace can become a hell and the worst mm-hmm. hell is that when one suffocates behind gilded windows for nothing. Okay. A bad I'm going to stop you there. I'm okay. stop you there. Why do you think, like we know this centuries and centuries and centuries of palaces and people being so unhappy yeah. in them. Yeah, there's never. It's not a new, it's not a good, there's never a good happiness story ever never it never is there's no prince and even prince or princesses mostly princesses that have a happy life no but it's a royal duty and still we're sold the dream to be a princess to be a princess and everyone wants to be a princess in a palace and all these unhappy like even you know princess dying like even just up until Megan, why should they left? Like, why? Yeah. Why? It's not, yeah. It's, why? Well, that's why our friend Carmela started that Instagram profile, So the Fairy mm, Tales Lied. Right. Yeah. Because they do lie. They, there is nothing. I mean, it actually goes also towards what I believe, having a lot of money, it does not make you happy. Yeah. I don't know many really rich, happy people. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Anyway. Yeah, except for Oprah. I think Oprah's really happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Self-made money, very different. And if you get therapy every step of the way, it makes a big difference. Yeah. Hey, what are you doing, mate? It's all right. He's just sniffing around. around. Not even the birth of two children could reconcile Louise in Philip. Mm, She had to have two children to him. In 1878, Louise had her first baby, a boy named... Leopold. Leopold. The third. Yep. Or maybe even, who knows? Could have been the first. There's a lot lot of Leopolds. Her mother came to stay with her and for a while, Queen Mary Henriette's calming influence helped... Louise and Philip get along. But once she left, they drifted apart and fell back into old habits. In 1881, Louise was pregnant again. This time, when her contractions started, she pretended nothing was wrong, so Philip would leave and go about his day. But because she waited so long to tell anyone, she had to give birth without the royal doctor, who just couldn't get there in time. With the midwife's help, she gave birth to a daughter she nicknamed Dora. The Explorer. Well, you will see. This time there was no post-baby reconciliation. During her party girl years, Louise befriended the Emperor's son, Crown Prince Rudolf. She described their relationship as a meeting of the minds, but there was definitely a flirtatious aspect to it. Mm. But Louise told Rudolf that he should marry her sister, Stephanie, because she was a younger version of herself. Rudolph wasn't keen on marriage in general, but his parents were pushing him to pick a bride. God, to be royal. And because there was a shortage of Catholic princesses to choose from, 
Rudolph took Louise's advice and he married Stephanie Mm. in May 1881. But before Stephanie moved to Vienna, Queen Marie Henriette warned her to avoid Louise, her own sister. Once she got there, Louise was too much of a party girl, their mum said, and she didn't want Stephanie's reputation tarnished by her sister's bad behaviour. And that behaviour, as it turns out, was about to get worse. In about 1883, two years after Dora was born, Louise started an affair with Philip's military attaché. Society gossip also connected her with Archduke Ludovic Victor, the emperor's brother. The gossip got so intense that Emperor Franz Joseph himself summoned her to the palace. Oh, she's been summoned. mm, That's When he told her that he didn't like what he was hearing, Louise said, well, it's a pack of lies. She said it. Fake news. Fake news. She goes, Arch Arch Ludovic Victor, Archduke Ludovic Victor was out Mm. to get me Mm. because I refused his advances. (laughs) I said no to him and he couldn't handle it. So he's spread rumours. He tried to cop a feel and I went, get out of it, as if. And he goes, right. As if, mate. I fingered her later, (laughs) earlier, and everyone went, ooh. She goes, no, you didn't. (laughs) Okay, whether it was true or not, turning the issue into a game of he said and she said against the emperor's brother was not the best strategy in the world. Mm. The emperor was never going to side against his brother. He told Louise to get fucked. No, (laughs) He told Louise that any plot against her was her husband's problem. But Philip refused to get involved, even to clear her name. Oh. That was the last straw for her. Wouldn't stand up for her. No. From that point Spineless. on, their marriage descended into a state of open war that would last for decades. Oh, God. In 1888, when Louise's lover died, suddenly she suddenly she had an affair with his replacement. Her suddenly. <laughs> Suddenly, I just, I just had when an he affair. died suddenly, yeah. not suddenly she suddenly. had an affair. <laughs> she had an affair with his replacement, her husband's new, with her husband's new military attaché. This was God. too much for Philip, and he turned to Louise's mum for backup. Marie Henriette tried to convince Louise's lover to give her up, mm. but he refused. Mm-hmm. And they were together for another five years until he married another woman in nineteen oh. in eighteen ninety three. She just can't get a break. She can't get a break. After the end of that affair, with no new love on the horizon, it looked like Louise might finally be settling down. She spent more time with her kids. Mm-hmm. She patched things up with her mum. For a brief shining moment, the Coburg house household was calm. Turns out that was the calm before the storm. One day, right in ni- in the spring of eighteen ninety five, Louise was out for a drive in Vienna. Beep beep! Look out, Louise is coming. <laughs> Suddenly, she saw a young lieutenant struggling to control his horse. Oh. They locked eyes, and She's the moment a- was electric. He later wrote, "My whole being underwent a transformation. I knew that she would henceforth." Henceforth mould and govern my life. Glimpses of her became vital to my existence. That lieutenant's name was Count Gazer. His whole name was Gazer Mata Cheech Keglevich. But we'll just call him Gazer. 
You did very well Thank pr- you. pronunciating that. I actually that. wrote that out phonetically. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was going to say, Jesus. Oh, you don't know how I've written some of these oh, things okay. in here. Yeah, yeah. She was 37, but he was a decade younger. Don't mind if I do. Mm. Louise and Gazer didn't hide their attraction, which progressed from chance meetings in the park to smouldering glances at the opera. I just keep thinking of that. Gazer good, Gazer good. He's a good but gays are good. Gays are good. Gays are good. Isn't it E's good? E's good. Is that a good? Even E's are good. You've replaced it with gays are good. Gays are good. All right. When she went on vacation to Abatsia, he followed her away. Where's Abatsia? Hey, Siri, where's Abatsia? I don't see any Martin places. Well, Sorry. That's fine. We'll just say it's in Europe somewhere, shall we? So when she went on vacation there, he followed her away from the prying eyes of society. Mm. They finally had time to talk. When they realised they both loved horses, she commissioned Gazer to buy her to to buy her and teach her how to be a better horse rider. Mm. Commissioned him. I love that. Yeah. For anyway, that job gave them an excuse to see each other regularly. Gaze and Louise later deny that they ever had a physical affair, but I'll let you decide for yourself. I mean, come on. I mean, come on. Philip, of course, disapproved of their relationship, whatever it consisted of. Of course. In 1898, he ratted her out to Emperor Franz Joseph. Remember him? Of course he did. Mm. Who banished Gazer. He's a child. Banished. Banished Gazer. <gasps> and forbid Louise to appear at court that winter. I forbid. Bid you. Yeah. So the couple left Austria for France. Louise even took her daughter Dora with her. Oh, what about the other son? Leopold. Leopold. Whatever. During the self-imposed exiles, Louise spent money like water and ignored anything that looked like a bill. She blamed it on Philip, calling it a way of preventing herself for the constraints and pettiness of an impressive avarice. I like like the kind of her jib. Oh, yeah. She's got... got She's got sass, doesn't she? She was sure to inherit millions from her father, so she didn't really care. Um, And he actually personally owned the Belgian Congo. And he often, well, they all would just overlook any atrocity committed there as long as that it made him money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you know. That's nice. Yeah. This is why you should go out with a guy that's from prison really that's doing white collar crime. Yeah. I mean, they're really not doing anything. They, as long as you're ignoring it, then is it really happening? I don't know if Louise knew about the atrocities, but she definitely knew about the money. So did a lot of other people, as she'd soon find out. Oh. Back home in Vienna, Louise was seen as a disgrace. A wild, spoiled, selfish woman who was an embarrassment to her family and her husband. Yeah. Her daughter's fiancé convinced Dora to leave Louise, worried that condoning Louise's behaviour might impact their own share of Louise's future inheritance. It's all about the money. Yeah. And what did Louise's husband make up, make of all of this? Well, according to Louise, Philip just couldn't let her or her inheritance go. On February... 18, 1898, Louise's birthday, mm-hmm. Philip sent a messenger to, messenger to Nice challenging Gazer to a duel. I told you this was Days oh of Our Lives. Oh, my Gazer. God. An old-fashioned duel. Gazer and Louise went back to Vienna to accept the challenge. Yes. This um, sounds like bloody... It does. That show. Oh, my God. What? 
Brigadine. Brigadine. Oh, I've never Br- seen Bridgerton. Oh, Brigadoon. Bridgerton. 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 Oh, yeah, Bridgerton. Sounds like Bridgerton. You know, they go and have yeah. a jewel under yeah. the big tree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, Gazer had been – they'd both actually been in the same Viennese writing academy where he'd given um, Louise lessons. Gazer and Philip, that's where they did the duel. They went to the writing academy. Philip and Gazer squared off with pistols. Gazer mm. fired into the air but Philip fired straight at him. He missed so the duel progressed to round two with swords. Gazer nicked Philip on the hand – easily winning the duel, but Philip had no intention of giving up. This time, mm-hmm. <laughs> this is hilarious, this time he just accused Gazer of, of going of forging signatures on a promissory note. Okay. Imagine doing a duel. First you fire a gun, then you get nicked by a sword, then you go, well, you know what? You You're are. a forgerer. You are. And nah. I win, therefore. Yeah. The end. No, I say you are, you you eat dog shit. Yeah. The end. Yeah, because you smell like it. So in a duel, yeah. do they they have to they pull they get their guns out and it's the quickest person to yeah shoot. But why did he shoot in the air? I don't know. Because that's what they do in um, Bridgerton Brid- as well. Yeah. Why? Maybe they is it just... like ah oh, ha ha just jokes? Yeah, maybe. Like, I don't know. <sighs> now with the Imperial Police after them. Oh, Louise and Gazer didn't know where to turn. Her first instinct was to head to England and ask Queen Victoria. You know Queen Victoria; she loves yeah. her drugs. Queen Vic for help, Vicky. But when they got there, they realised Queen Victoria was on vacation in France. Oh, so God. if not England, where could they go? Gazer sent Louise and her lady in waiting to his mum in Croatia for protection. Bloody Croatia! But Austrian spies soon found them both. And the police arrested Gazer on the forgery charge. During his trial, he would be stripped of his title and sentenced to six years in military prison. But Philip mm. had something else in mind for his runaway bride. His God. men broke into her room and gave her an ultimatum. Return to Philip or be locked up in an asylum. <gasps> she chose the asylum. <laughs> I mean... I mean, if that's not saying to Philip, yeah. go well, fuck Well, and anticipating her response, <laughs> he actually sent a lawyer, a doctor and a nurse with a pre-written diagnosis of insanity. Oh, my goodness. They grabbed Louise, put her in a train on a train and checked her into the Dublin Asylum just outside of Vienna. Now, Dublin was famous at the time because that's where all royals and aristocrats, aristocrats mm-hmm. not to be mistaken for that. Aristocats. Awesome movie, Aristocats. Yeah. <laughs> Um, that's where they got sent when they were just too much for their families to handle. Yeah, yeah. Louise was by no means the only royal lady to be sent there. The Duchess of Cumberland-born Princess Tierra of Denmark was there three different times while suffering from depression in the 1880s and the 1890s. Most of the time, royal patients were pronounced, cured and went home again, Mm. just like Tierra. Mm -hmm. But other times, like with Louise... Their stay was meant to be permanent. Later, Gazer said that if he'd suspected that Philip was going to do that, he'd have defended her with his life. Louise's father cut all ties with her, embarrassed by her behaviour. The rest of her Belgian family followed his lead and kept their distance. Louise interpreted the distance as proof that she'd been railroaded. She later wrote, I was either mad or I was not mad. To abandon me thus showed that I was not. 
After all, someone truly insane couldn't be held accountable for their actions. Mm. Someone truly insane deserved care and sympathy. She's a very smart woman. Yeah, absolutely. Louise, bloody point. Yeah, Louise received neither. To make matters worse, Louise never saw her mother again. She died while Louise was in the asylum. All she had left were her mother's letters. And by judging by the tone of the letters, Louise could tell that her mum had believed the story that she was insane. Can you imagine what that place was like? Oh. Imagine it, Imagine an insane asylum. I know. In, where are they, Bel- back in Belgium? No. In, in Austria. In Austria. Yeah, in the 1890s. Oh. Well, that, in 1900s. Oh, like. my Lord. Yuck. And they were putting good ones. Oh, yeah, because they're the royals, right? So, yeah. Um, So without her mum, since the rest of the Belgian family was no help, Louise turned to her daughter Dora and Dora's husband. Mm -hmm. Their answer was simple. Sure, we'll help you if you sign over the rights to any of your future inheritance. Brittany. Louise refused. Don't do it, Brittany. Don't do it. She clung to the belief that she could somehow find a way to control her own destiny. She later wrote, My crime did not consist in my rebellion against a husband and a marriage of convenience. My crime consisted in showing that deplorable spirit, which the world rarely pardons, the fighting spirit, the spirit of resistance. The world dislikes a woman who defends herself. Yes! But it's not like Louise was invisible just because she was in an asylum. Newspapers reported on her story and some of them took her side. Good. And this worried Philip. Good. The last thing he wanted was a public relations nightmare. Suck it, Keeping their names in the paper. Out of sight, out of mind, he thought, and had Louise moved to a facility in Saxony. I don't know where that is either. There, Louise lived with a maid and a lady-in-waiting, isolated in a villa in the park. Mm. It was a luxurious prison, but it was still a prison. At the same time, a young married woman named Maria Stoger got a job at the prison. You're going to say Maria Shriver. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Maria Stoger got Mm. a job at the prison facility where Gazer was being held. Mm. She'd read stories about him in the newspaper and captivated by his romance with Louise, decided she wanted to be a part of it. According to Louise's biographer, Maria became Gaze's mistress. She also became a sort of secretary and a PR manager, bringing in legal experts and help with Gaze's case and making the papers publish stories sympathetic to his cause. Mm -hmm. Whatever she did, it worked. Right. In 1902, after four years in prison, Gaze's forgery conviction was overturned. Due to a lack of both due process and evidence, once he got out, he immediately started looking for Louise. He made friends with a French journalist who bought the exclusive rights to the story of Gaze's quest to find Louise. Through it all, Maria Stoger stayed by his side. Gaze tracked Louise down to the sanitarium in Saxony. Mm. where she still lived in comfort but was constantly being watched by policemen and spies. Bloody Brittany. Yeah. But Louise had no idea he had even gotten out of prison. One day while out for a drive, a guy on a bike almost smacked into her carriage. Oh. She met the man's eyes and recognised him immediately. No. It was Gazer. She thought he'd have her out the very next day. But but that's not what happened. Oh, not by a long shot. Oh no! It took three more years 
of watching, waiting, plotting, planning. According to Louise, both she and Gazer were still under close watch by policemen and spies. They arranged the occasional incognito meeting in the park or nearby woods where they couldn't speak without being overheard. Where they could speak without being, being overheard, ahead. sorry. Gazer found ways to slip her notes of encouragement. Once Ooh. he paid a boy to pass her a note that said only hope. Oh, like on a post-it? Yeah, it was a post-it. Yeah, it was a post-it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it was a fax. Yeah. Um, it's not surprising that Louise's health took a turn for the worse with all the constant stress. Mm. When her doctors prescribed a stay at a spa <laughs> in Bavaria... Gazer knew this was his chance. Yeah. He had to get her out before he, they took her back to the sanitarium. Mm. But he and Louise still needed help to pull off their plan. So they brought in a few helpers, including waiters, strangers and Louise's lady-in-waiting. This part of her memoir reads like a spy novel with wow. a bunch of random people recruited to give her signs that help was on the way, including a mysterious glance from an Austrian tennis player an encouraging nod from a blonde man in the hotel dining room and a note slipped underneath the tablecloth where's the new girlfriend at the through all this she's in the she's in the background she's in the wings finally on the night Mm. of august 31 1904 the hotel's night watchman knocked softly on louise's door he asked her oh that stop it stop it stop it it was a a sound effect it was just a part of the story sorry sis she's not happy sorry sis Sis. sorry look at me look at me sammy touch her touch her there we go everything's fine sammy's here if you are loving this podcast why don't you rate and review us that's it also follow us now i think it's called follow it's not subscribe yeah. anymore there's a little plus button just yeah. push it follow us and you get a little tick and we'll be like there you go followed yeah Boom. give us Done. five stars that'd be great if you could if you could but honestly truthfully that's the only reason how we're gonna get out there don't sound too desperate any but please no um what a hey want to get us to new and noteworthy rating and reviewing yes five stars only <laughs> also you can follow us on Instagram we're at chickstery underscore podcast and we're also now on TikTok because that's what all the cool kids are doing yeah at chickstery podcast ratchet <laughs> so the night the night watchman knock, not yet he asked her to take off her boots oh and then they tiptoed past the other watchman out of the building oh and into God. the woods, straight to a waiting gazer. Dressed as peasants, oh, Louise Gazer and Maria Stoger. She's there. Yeah, she's there the whole time. They made their way to Paris where they finally were safe. The three of them, happily ever after. From Philip, Joseph. Franz Joseph and the Imperial Police. Good. Okay, so they're yeah. safe from everyone. Yeah, good. Louise's seven years of captivity were over. Oh. Thank God. So, but she's a. But she's. Was it a happily ever after for well, Louise and Gazer? Well, she's just met up with Gazer, no, and he's now a pack. Yeah, he's it's, a. He's. It comes with a. He yeah. comes with a Shri- Maria no, Shriver. Yeah. So let's. Yeah, Maria then tells Louise about her affair oh, with Gazer. Since Maria lived with them on and off for the next three years, it's pretty safe to say Louise was okay with it. 
Hmm. Read a room. Come on, darling. Read the room. Later, when Maria left, Louisa's lady-in-waiting caught Gaze's eyes and became his next mistress. No. The arrangement sounds a little weird. Yeah. But it seems to have worked for them. Second, Louise still had to clear her name and prove she wasn't insane. Yeah. In 1905, French authorities examined her and declared her sane. Yeah, good. With that declaration in hand, she and Philip negotiated a separation and then a divorce made official in 1906. But none of this meant Louise was safe from her own bad judgment or bill collectors. Mm. She sued her dad, King Leopold II, to try and get the money for her that her mother had left her in her will. Mm-hmm. Instead, her dad offered her hush money to leave Gaza and Louise said, get fucked. <laughs> Retail therapy remained her only outlet for stress oh, relief. She awesome. was banking literally on the fact that she'd inherit her father's fantastic wealth. But she overestimated the size of his Grinch-like heart. As a former Belgian cabinet minister said, the king has but two dreams, to die a billionaire and to disinherit his daughters. They're just what lovely, aren't they? What an asshole! Leopold apparently missed his calling as a money launderer. He transferred 55 million francs oh. of cash, art and jewels to a German foundation to keep it out of his family's hands. Oh, wow. Another shell company owned 58 of his properties. Oh, wow. And at least 25 million in Congo bonds are scattered in corporate hiding places. All of, all of his financial his shenanigans worked... <laughs> After he died in 1909, Louise realised he'd hidden all the money so well that she'd virtually been disinherited. Mm. disinherited. Mm. Mm. So she sued again with the help of her sister Stephanie, who was now in the same boat. The Belgian government finally agreed to pay them an allowance. But the paperwork Mm. was so tangled up that they didn't see a cent for five years. Um, And out of all of his millions, they both only received $300,000. Just four years earlier, her debts had been estimated at around three million. Shit. So you can guess she um, how she felt about that. She anyway. was going nuts on their Instagram shopping. Le- Louise and Gaze drifted from Paris to Germany and back to Austria. Shadowy financial transactions followed them, mm. which of course she doesn't mention in her memoir. Is but she about? 117 because I feel I like know. she's had like the yeah, longest a, life. I told you it's a long story this yeah. one. Yeah. So in 1913 alone, the lease uh sorry, Louise, not the lease, <laughs> was sued for backing out of a real estate purchase and accused of swindling the German engi- a German engineer out of 1 million dollars. Mm. If you're wondering why she hasn't learned her lesson, she was counting on yet another inheritance, a reported 30 million dollars whenever her aunt Charlotte passed. Oh. When World War 1 broke out in 1914, Louise and Gaza were living in a hotel in Vienna. The Austrian government labeled her enemy's subject and asked her to leave the country. All right. Mm. They went to Munich. She struggled there. Friend showed up. Guess who the friend was? Maria Schreiber. Yeah. So it was just another mouth to feed. They all ended up actually quite destitute. And she said that Maria. I've got the shits with her. (laughs) Louise Louise ends up referring to everyone around her in her her memoir as human vultures. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, yeah. And then in August of 1916, Gazer was arrested and deported, according to Louise, for being a Croatian. <laughs> <laughs> Get out, you're a Croatian. Anyway, the authorities mm. charged Gazer with conspiring against the Austrian-Hungarian Empire, put him in a camp in Hungary. Louise stayed in Germany, but by 1917 her Bavarian creditors were fed up. They seized mm. 72 trunks of clothes and accessories, selling them for a total of $20,500. But by this point she was barely surviving on a few handouts from her daughter and her sister. Mm. Um... Anyway, it goes on. You know what? It's so long, this story. Yeah. She goes on. Her and Gazer get to see each other a few more times. The Hungarian Empire falls. Louise brief, is briefly taken prisoner by Hungarian Bolsheviks. Mm, While searching her possessions, one of them said, here's the king's daughter who is poorer than I am. Louise and Gazer fled again. This time settling in Paris. They should have just stayed in Paris the whole time. Totally. And then while they lived there, Gazer died in uh-huh. 1923. Okay. The New York Times reported that Louise didn't. Can you imagine the New York Times? Like the New York Times were reporting their lifestyle like we do the royals, the royals in England. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just constant. This would have been such a great story the to follow. Tabloids, I know. They just the New York Times reported that Louise didn't have any money to bury him and had to rely on a kind... American tourist who gave her money. Oh. In the church register, it's noted in red ink that Gazer's burial costs were never paid in full. One year later, Louisa, Louise died penniless in Germany with a picture of Gazer clasped to her chest. Oh. And that's the story of Princess Louise of Austria. Holy shit, what a life. What a life. She, you know who she's a bit of? She's a bit Princess Fergie. Little bit, yeah, yeah. Little bit, little bit, little bit. You know, no yeah. one liked her. Yeah. She was like, get fucked all the time. There are so many stories like this about women like that who just. I mean, yeah, her, it, that could be made into a, an entire series. Oh, that would be incredible. People would watch that on Netflix. Yes, let's make it. Bridgerton is probably based based on it. Mm. It's just not based on her particular story. It's on someone else's. But but don't you think it's weird that there's so many of these stories coming out now about women challenging the, mm, the system, the system? Mm. because uh, maybe it's just as we yes yes i agree someone's happy yeah. um maybe you, it's just because what are you mugging her off or something <laughs> <laughs> sorry um maybe it's just because we're more focused on doing research and stuff about it but i just think there's a lot more stories now of of women who yeah we're hearing hearing about about that there were women in history who challenged it it just wasn't as if everyone just went yeah okay yeah i'll be a princess that sounds like a great deal i don't imagine anyone like we said right at the beginning anyone is happy in royalty and the women were most unhappy yeah and they probably fought a lot against it and Mm, mm. you know if they're back in the day their heads used to be chopped off yeah that's and then it turned into well we we'll just put you in an asylum or yeah you know i know so the bravery it would have taken to stand up against Mm. that whole establishment can you imagine imagine being forced to marry your second cousin Gross. Just, just imagine being forced to marry full stop. I know. Yeah. 
Anyway. True that. Louise. Yeah, you're a woman. You are Princess a chicken history. Louise. Princess Louise. You could probably talk to any Austrian and they'd know all about her. Fantastic. Good story. Yeah, good story. It was a long one though. Yeah, I got her a wee. life. Her life was long. Yeah. All right, go and do a wee and we'll see you all next week. Okay, bye. This podcast is produced by Evie, Annie and Sammy. Edited by Annie and Sammy. Be sure to check out Sammy's podcast, Confessions of the Idiots.